Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back in the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 38. Of course, that is a main event between Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker, one that is sure to be not just weird, but also a lot of fun to watch. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card. As part of your favorite segment, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you a parlay and an underdog to make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, I'm bringing you the interviews you know and love first. I'm talking with Devontae Smith, who gets ready for his upcoming fight this weekend with Jamie Malarkey. And later on, I'll be talking to Joe Selecki as he gets ready for Jared Gordon. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there, check out the Top Turtle MMA page, you can get my bonus pick each and every week that is only available at Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. And joining me today is Devontae Smith, who fights Jamie Malarkey at UFC Vegas 38. That is on October 2nd. So, Devontae, let's start here. You know, I, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that you're coming back to the UFC after a really long time out of the cage. You know, er- earlier you picked up your first loss. You were out for a year and a half. You come back, you put an absolute beating on Justin James earlier this year. How good does it feel to be back and active and getting a second fight already this year? I mean, it feels good. It feels like any other fight, you know, once you get a win, you're ready to get back in there. But uh, I like taking my time, you know. Um, when I was away for that year, um, I ruptured my Achilles. So that's a, I had to do a whole recovery thing. But, you know, uh, it feels good. Like I said, it's just, it's just, it's just another day. You said you ruptured your Achilles. That is obviously a, a pretty severe injury. How, how much of your that time out of the cage, that year and a half that you were away, was not training hardly at all. Did, did you have to spend a whole bunch of time not getting, you know, mat time on or mitt time on? Yeah, but I say eight to nine months, I was like really doing nothing but like sitting down in um, recovery, you know, going to uh, physical therapy, learning how to walk again, learning how to push weight, how, learning how to use my body and, you know, um, and then, like it was like I said, month eight or nine, that's when I started slowly working into like punching and kicking and wrestling and getting taken down. And, you know, for the longest, I, I didn't feel right getting massages, you know, on my on, on that area at all. Like I was just like, leave it be, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, um, you know, it took, it took about a year and a half off and, you know, to get that win off of Justin James, like, that just proves that, you know, I took the right road. 
Absolutely. And now I'm curious too, you know, you said you took the right route, obviously, because you picked the win and you look damn good in there too. How, how good did you feel in there? Did you feel like your old self or did you feel like, you know, there were some things rusty that you look to do better this time against Jamie Malarkey? Uh, not necessarily, man. I just felt like I got to release, you know, uh, it's been like a year, it was like a year and a half for me. So it was like all the, all of this pent up aggression, you know, I got to release, you know, like I'm fighting, you know, I really wasn't thinking too much. I mean, I was thinking technically, but I was just in the mindset. It just felt good to like fight, you know, and just let it out. Well, you're going to get a chance to let it out again on October 2nd. And that's fights against Jamie Malarkey. So I want to talk about the fight Jamie Malarkey's coming off of because he had lost two in a row and then he rebounds with a knockout over your former opponent, but also your friend in, 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 uh, comma worthy. Have you thought at all about that? Have have you watched that fight? What are your thoughts on, on Jamie Malarkey being the guy who kind of just beat a guy you're friends with? Um, I I watched it for, I needed to watch it for, um, comma got caught. Um, Jamie Malarkey was the better man that day. Uh, I seen that he has, you know, some, uh, some footwork. I mean, it's a good footwork, but other than that, it was, you know, it was only like 40, 45 seconds. So you can't really get too much from that but other than like, congratulations, you know? Um, yeah, really. I, I don't, I ain't really think too much in it for real. You know, uh, I know this is the fight game. <laughs> I lost the comma and he beat comma. So, um, how far to him? Wow, that sounds great. Now, you know, you, you said you, you talked about him not being able to see very much from him that last time. He did get the KO, mm-hmm. obviously, pretty quick. But he's also a guy that, if you've watched his other fights, has, has kind of used a lot of wrestling. Do you think he is going to try to stand and trade with you? And if so, is that what you want to see in this fight? Um, really, you know, I, I feel like he's gonna, he's gonna fight me. I feel like if he feels he has the better, if he has the advantage on the stand up, he's going to stand up. If he feels he has the better advantage on the ground, then he's going to, you know, wrestle me. Um, I'm, I'm ready for either or, you know, uh, would I rather want him to stand up? I mean, so many ways I, I don't care. Like it'd probably be easier, but as long as I get the win, that's all I'm focused on. That's all I really care for. So you know, uh, whatever he chooses to do, uh, I'll be ready for it. That certainly sounds like your style. Now, I, I do want to ask, I, I was looking at your Instagram a little while ago, and I saw you posted a video of you wrestling in your freshman year of high school, saying yeah. that, that that was that was part of the, the journey to make it to where you are today. But it, it's funny, when, when a lot of people mention your name, wrestler is not the first word that comes to mind because you got dynamite <laughs> in your hands. You're knocking people yeah. out all the time. How, how long did you wrestle before you, you made the transition to MMA? Uh, I wrestled from ninth all the way to 12th grade. I actually started wrestling to be in the UFC. You know, my older brother, uh, he wrestled for Euclid and I wrestled for Bedford High. And, um, you know, I, it was like a, it's like martial arts for free. You know, you, my mom ain't had to pay for I me mean, other than the shoes and stuff, but, um, it was free martial arts. It was like, it was basically fighting after school without getting in trouble. And I knew wrestling is like just one of those things that you just can't, you know, go to a karate gym or dojo and just learn wrestling. You have to be like in it. And, you know, I just felt like that was the first step. And uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't, a lot of people don't know that. So 
you know, when they talk about grappling and wrestling. I mean, yeah, there are some good wrestlers out there, but I'm not bad at wrestling at all. Like, <laughs> I just hit people and they go down. So, I'll, you know, I'm cool. That I don't have to deal with that, but I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> so, so, obviously, like you said, it was your first martial art because it was something that you could train to get to the UFC. And, and in ninth grade, you were already thinking about that. How early did you decide you wanted to be an MMA fighter? Uh, at 14, I was uh, watching, and me and my older brother, we used to watch Pride a lot. And I see, I don't know if it was the fight or it was the highlight of Crib uh, Rampage. Uh, he was in a triangle choke. He picked dude up, slammed him, knocked him out, and just started hitting him. And for whatever reason, I was like, I could do that. You know, so uh, me and my older brother, man, we used to be in the basement sparring all the time trying out jujitsu moves, uh, trying out wrestling moves. And, you know, at 14, that's when I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And, and out of curiosity, obviously your brother being somebody who you were training with all the time and, and who seemingly had a lot of the same aspirations knew about that. How, how much did the rest of your family know about that? Did your mom know about this, this being your dream? Did your, did your friends know about this being your dream? Or was this a little bit more private of yourself? No, everybody knew. Uh, a lot of people knew, you know, because I would always talk about it. And um, yeah, I would always talk about it. I would either talk about fighting or wrestling. You know, I didn't even know how to like hold conversations if it had nothing to do with like <laughs> wrestling and lifting weights and stuff. So you could you could like take a wild guess how that went with girls. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but um, they all knew, but I don't really like, and no offense taken, but I really don't think they believe me because it's like, like they see me, yeah, they knew me, but when they see what UFC is, they just see me as this 14 year old just talking, you know, about wrestling and fighting. But when I uh, graduated high school and I actually like took that step into my first MMA gym. And was getting cracked in the head, kicked, and all this crazy stuff. To six months later, having my first fight and winning by knockout in thirty seconds, so I was like, "Yeah, this, this for me." I didn't even know I could knock people out, so <laughs> I was like, "Cool, <laughs> new talent unlocked." And, and was that? And I was going to ask, you know, like why we don't see more of the wrestling? Was it just that, like, from a very early age and from the very first time you were in there? you realized that there's something about your striking that, that has some innate power in it. Not even that. It's just people, oh, people don't, um, people are just, uh, I don't, dude, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I do whatever makes sense. I remember I had a fight and a dude, uh, he punched me in my tooth. He ain't punched me in my mouth. He ain't punched me in my face. He hit the mouthpiece, but I felt more pressure on the, like a, a specific tooth, and I'm like, damn. From that from that point all the way to the end of the fight, I became a wrestler. I was taking them <laughs> down. I was throwing them. I was doing all types of stuff because I was still like trying to come into like, man, this dude almost punched my tooth out, you know. <laughs> so um, you know, I, I'm as long as I win, that's all I'm focused on. So whether it's stand up, jujitsu or wrestling, whatever I need to do at that specific moment or situation, I'm going to do. I love that mentality. Now, before I let you go, I do like to get a prediction. You said you can get it done anyway, but is there a way you see this one going down on October 2nd? Uh, I just say by me winning. Because <laughs> uh, I know everybody wants that cool highlight, but 
you know, fights are just so unpredictable. You you don't know. You know, I didn't know I was gonna get a doctor stoppage that last fight. You know, I thought I was gonna maybe maybe knock him out. Uh, but I knew at the end of the day I was gonna win. And you know, if I'm uh, blessed with another get in get out, cool. But if I gotta, cause he seemed like a warrior, so if I gotta fight all three, I'm there. I'm there for the whole thing. Well, either way, we are looking forward to it. And once again, fans, this was Devontae Smith, who fights Jamie Malarkey at UFC Vegas 38. That is on October 2nd. Devontae, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, bro. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Devontae Smith. I once again am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I want to start here. We are about to get the first ever title fight. With two fighters coming off of a loss, that's right, Piotr Jan coming off his DQ loss of Aljamain Sterling is now going to be fighting Corey Sanhagen coming off of a loss of a TJ Dillashaw for the interim Bantamweight title. Your thoughts on the whole fiasco? All right, this thing is such a mess, but let's let's try to unwind it. So first of all, I put a tweet up on our Twitter, at Top Turtle on the May, talking about what a hot potato this 135-pound title has become. TJ Snakeshaw pops for steroids, then Cejudo uh, wins the title, defends once, promptly retires. Uh, then Piotr Jan uh, beats a very old Jose Aldo, cutting down to 135 pounds, which felt very weird. Then he loses the belt on a very controversial, illegal DQ uh, knee to the head, which I really think should have just been deemed like a no contest at that point. But okay, Aljo wins the belt, and now he's set to fight Aljo in the rematch. Aljo drops out because he has neck issues, but there, there's footage of him still training, which I get that a neck is a very delicate thing. So I'm not accusing Aljo of feigning an injury, but the whole thing is just weird. And now you have one Corey Sanhagen coming off a loss to the aforementioned TJ Snakeshaw, who started this whole ball rolling and is fighting Piotr Jan, who is a great fighter, but just sort of embroiled in controversy because of the illegal knee, it's a giant freaking mess. What do you make of it? Yeah, it's a mess, but I will say a couple of things. So it feels almost like justice that Corey Sanhagen is getting this title shot because I'll say this. I didn't think he won the fight. I scored that fight for TJ Dillashaw in real time, but I definitely could see how people did score it for Corey Sanhagen. And I'll say this. The, the crazy thing for me about all of it is the reason he's getting the title shot is because Dillashaw's knee is still all jacked up from a heel hook that, get this, Corey Sanhagen put him in. So the fact that he couldn't take the fight on short notice because of an injury that Sanhagen gave him gives Sanhagen the title shot, which is kind of fun too. I agree. The Bantamweight division is just kind of uh, an overall mess right now. But ultimately, I'll say this. I think given what was there for possibilities, this seemed like the right move. Agreed. Agreed. So it is an exciting fight. And I think we all, you know, Sam Hagen, nothing was lost in, there was no luster loss in his loss. Wow, this is tough to say. No luster loss in his loss. (laughs) So I think he is a very disturbing interim what a mess interim title challenger if that all makes sense yeah it makes the best and worst sense all at the same time (laughs) all right well let's get to the best segment on our show it's fights dogs and parlays for ufc vegas 38 coming up this weekend 
Gumby, before we start breaking down our hot picks, our parlays to play, our locks, our dogs, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fight Stars and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon to log your training sessions, leave yourself notes, tag training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right. Let us start with the main event as we are known to do and it's an exciting one for a fight night kind of a fun banger of a fight you gotta figure it'll end in fireworks in some way i don't think we're getting a five-round decision here um i mean i guess it's possible and i just cursed it but anyway you have tiago santos on a three-fight losing streak fighting johnny walker who you know was a really hot prospect at one point into 2019 and then saw back-to-back losses to Corey anderson and nikita krylov But he's coming off a big KO win over Ryan Spahn back in September of 2020. So been a year since we've seen him. And now facing Tiago Santos as a dog is Johnny Walker, a plus 140 dog. And Tiago Santos, the minus 155 favorite, albeit on a three-fight losing streak with losses to Alexander Rakic, Glover Teixeira, and, of course, the split decision loss to John Jones for the title. Uh, Who you got? I'm actually somewhat surprisingly going to go with Johnny Walker here. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Not surprising. I think these odds are a little off. Yeah, well, when, I'll say this. I think people in probably the bookmakers included are saying, I, I like Tiago Santos in this because he's smarter. He fights a more technical fight. He makes less mistakes. And all of that is fundamentally true. But here's the thing about a Johnny Walker fight. The technical fight never happens when you fight Johnny Walker. He finds a way to make every single fight weird and terrible and messy. And I think whether or not he makes this weird and terrible and messy against Tiago Santos, I think Santos winds up having to do something like that and get a little messy in order to not just get, like, you know, absolutely knocked out early in the fight or, you know, to have any kind of offense. He's going to have to engage in some messiness and I did say he's going to make less mistakes than than Johnny Walker. But the other thing is, is Tiago Santos has been knocked out a couple of times. And, and I think that that alone makes me feel like, hey, Johnny Walker just finds that one opening. You know that bastard is going to tag somebody. So, yeah, I'm going to take Johnny Walker here as an underdog in the main event. All right. I like it. I'm sort of... Uh, I'm sort of feeling you on that. I think uh, I like straight up you know, it's a little bit of a pick for me. So what that says to me is go with the dog because you're getting the better money. Um, call me crazy, but that's just the way I think about it. Let's move to another fight that some people might find tough to pick. So hopefully we can clear it up for them. Kevin Holland is on a two-fight losing streak with losses to Derek Brunson and Marvin Vittori. Um, and he is the minus 155 favorite. So here we have another favorite who is on a significant losing streak you know two or more three in a row uh but in this case two and he's going to be fighting kyle Dawkins, who's coming off a loss himself but beat dustin uh stolpus before that lost to brandon allen before that so in the ufc he is one and two and he here kyle Dawkins, is the plus 130 dog who you take i'm gonna go with the favorite here i'm gonna take uh kevin holland and the reason i'm gonna take kevin holland is 
I think he's so much better on the feet than Kyle Dawkins. Um, and I really do like Kyle Dawkins. I, I like both him and his brother. His brother obviously just proved to be one of the hottest prospects in MMA right now. But the thing about Kyle Dawkins is he's he's not as well polished on the feet. Um, we saw Brendan Allen even, you know, kind of have his way with him in the striking department before eventually grinding him out for, for a decision there too. Phil Hawes kind of took it to him with the striking. Dawkins isn't terrible striking, but he's head and shoulders behind Kevin Holland. The reason why the odds are as close as they are is there there is that question, right? Dawkins can grapple. So the question is, is can he get Kevin Holland down? And I think he can, but like, I don't put him in the same category as the two people who just beat the hell out of him in Derek Brunson and Marvin Vittori, two guys who have great wrestling, great ground control. And even then Holland got back to his feet in a couple of those instances. Granted, not many, but a couple of them. He also outstruck Marvin Vittori. I don't think that Kyle Dawkins is as good in wrestling or on the feet as Marvin Vittori. So I'm going to go with the favorite here. I think he pieces him up on the feet. I wouldn't be surprised to see a finish. He's got great finishing ability. And I think a lot of people forgot about that in the two losses where he looked like a turtle on his back. Totally fair. And let's also not forget that big rig Johnny Hendricks is now his wrestling (laughs) Big rig. (laughs) Oh, he's known for his big brains, was that big rig? We definitely want him as a coach. All right, that's enough of bashing on Johnny Hendricks. Let's get to Aston Ladd, a minus 200 favorite against Macy Chazon. You know, Aston Ladd quickly, coming off the win over Unikuniskaya via TKO, lost to Jermaine Randomy before that via TKO, but wins over Sajara Eubank, TKOs over Tanya Evinger, and Lena Landsberg in the UFC. So, you know, Aston Ladd is 9-1 and one as a pro, Four and one in the UFC and over nine wins, six are knockouts. And I feel like that kind of snuck up on me that her finishing power is, you know, very, very there uh, for her with six out of nine wins coming via a TKO. And on the other side, Macy Chazon is on a two fight win streak with wins over Shana Young and Marion Renault via unanimous decision. Lost to Lena Landsberg before that, TKO'd Sarah Moross before that, and TKO'd Gina Mazzani before that. So, also, 4-1 and one in the UFC. Very interesting matchup here. Chason plus 170. Lad, the very solid favorite at minus 200. A 2-1 two to one favorite. Uh, who you taking? And if it is if it is Lad as a strong 2-1 to one favorite, I'd like to hear paths to victory for Macy Chason. So I think it is Aspen Lad. And I actually even like the number on Aspen Lad at negative 200, as you will see. Um, oh, no, I took it out of my parlay. Originally, I had that in my parlay. But um, Aspen Ladd at negative 200, I think, is even a good price. Because the problem with Macy Chason in this fight is, if you go back and look at that last loss to Lena Landsberg, who is largely a kickboxer, that kickboxer out-wrestled the hell out of Macy Chason. And I don't think Macy Chason is, like, bad takedown defense. I actually think it's pretty good. But with people who have, like, adequate technical wrestling they wind up having some level of success against her. We even saw it with Marion Renault. Marion Renault, who's, you know, like 45 years old, took Macy Chason down twice. Aspen Ladd is better wrestling than both of those two, and both of those two had a lot of success in the grappling department. I both think that Aspen Ladd can take her down all the time and will probably do so in ground and pound. With, uh, If you're looking for a path to victory for Macy Chason, I think this all relies on keeping distance, fighting from a range. Um, you know... Not that I really, truly agreed with the stoppage of, of Jermaine Durandamine against Aspen Ladd, but her ability to keep that range and throw her, her like, long-range strikes was what worked for Jermaine Durandamine. Granted, in, like, 29 seconds, I'm pretty sure that fight took. But, like, keeping the range was good for her. 
Macy Chason, also really tall, like Jermaine Durandamine. If she's able to keep the range, I could see maybe winning a striking match. But even then, Aspen Ladd's boxing, I think, is also better. So, yeah, I think the, the chances here are pretty slim for Macy Chason. So I, I'm all in on Aspen Ladd, even at negative 200. All right, very fair, and I won't challenge you on that. Our underdogs of the week is a uh, favorite of ours, a friend of the show, was on our first or second episode, and it's Misha Serkinov, a plus 125 over Christoph Jocko, our dog of the week. Let's hear it. So uh, this one's such a weird one. I think Misha Serkinov is largely coming into this fight as an underdog strictly due to the fact that he is cutting the middleweight, which, by the way, seems insane. The guy is a ball of muscle. I, I think he's probably going to have to lose one of his legs to make 185 pounds. But I think that fear of him cutting weight is the only reason he's the underdog here. I, I, I don't doubt that he can out-wrestle a ton of people at middleweight, Christoph Jocko included. So he's making this drop to try to save his career. And I think people are worried that his muscle is not going to hold up in this division. But at plus money, knowing he's a vastly superior, more talented fighter than, than Christoph Jocko, which I think not a lot of people would argue with, Basically, he's an underdog here only because we don't trust an unknown, you know, cardio level. I feel like that's a silly reason not to pick him in this. So I'm going to take the much more talented, good grappler here in Misha Serkinov. All right. I love it. Huge Misha fan. Our parlay to play, Alejandro Perez, minus 210. Joe Selecki, minus 150. Pretty good favorites there, but pair them together. You're going to get yourself plus 145 odds. Break it down. So I like Alejandro Perez against Johnny Eduardo because it seems like Johnny Eduardo has been out for three years because, oh, he has. Now, Alejandro Perez has been away for a little while himself, but the thing about that is he's way younger. We're talking about Johnny Eduardo off for three years, coming back at 41 years old. That's an insane comeback. Alejandro Perez both has that advantage in the youth and the shorter layoff and the fact that he's got a little bit of wrestling in his back pocket. I think he rolls easy here. I'm also going to take Joe Selecki in here because, look, Joe Selecki just got done out-grappling Jim Miller, and you're going to put him in there with another guy who who prefers to grapple in Jared Gordon. So not that I dislike Jared Gordon, but, like, if you're saying his path to victory in most fights is grappling, and he's, I mean, he's not Jim Miller. I think we can all agree that Jared Gordon is not Jim Miller. Why wouldn't Joe Selecki just roll over him as well? So, yeah, I like Joe Selecki and Alejandro Perez and getting 145 for those two I think is a slam dunk. Boom. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Fight Songs and Parlays. Hey, we'll be live tweeting during the show at Top Turtle MMA, maybe dropping some fresh Instagram content as well. Same handle on IG. If you think we deserve it, head on over to iTunes. Write a five-star review, would you? It helps keep the lights on in the Top Turtle podcast studio. Gumby, this train is a moving along, and I think we have someone who we've already been talking about in this breakdown of the card. Where do we go next? Well, we do have somebody who we just talked about, and that is Joe Selecki, who is part of our Parlay to Play. We talked a little bit about that three-fight winning streak, how he got into MMA, and of course, the meaningfulness of a Jim Miller win on your record. We're going to do that interview right now. All right, and joining me today is Joe Selecki, who fights Jared Gordon at UFC Vegas 38. That fight is, of course, on October 2nd, so Joe before we start talking about your upcoming fight, I want to talk about your last fight because you went in there last time, 2-0 in the UFC already, and you go in there and beat an absolute legend in Jim Miller, a guy who made his pro debut when you were just 12 years old. Now with time to think about it, time to reflect on it, what does that win mean to you at this stage of your career? 
yeah, I think more than anything, it's a cool feather in my cap, and it does mean a lot to me because that's about when I got into watching MMA was when him and his brother Dan were coming up at CFFC and Ring of Combat. Like, I was at some of those events, you know? But I think the biggest thing is the experience that I take away from it. I feel like it was a passing of the torch or a changing of the guard just because he is – a lot of the things that he is are things that I am, and I was just newer in them, you know? So I was talking about my coach the other day. It's like going into that fight, especially all the areas where I feel like I'm really strong, whether it's in my personality or my, my, my values, my mental game, as well as fighting, uh, he was strong at You know, I'm like, oh, well, I'm really grounded because I know I'm fighting for my family. Well, that guy's got four kids and a wife longer than I do. You know, I have one kid and a wife, and we haven't married as long as that. You know, like every area, he was more experienced in life, in fighting. So I think it was cool to go in there outmatched, outgunned on paper, and to come out with the win. It really showed me that I'm a grinder too, man, and, and I'm here to stay, and I'm grounded in those same things, such as family and martial arts tradition and just being being a blue-collar fighter and showing up and working every day, which I think is what he is, you know? Absolutely. And you, and you mentioned the mental side of that, too, and obviously the perspective of, of life experience and whatnot. But I'm, I'm curious, too, about the fighting side of it, because, you know, you're obviously a black belt yourself, so you're, you're very good at jiu-jitsu. But you went in there with a guy who's got, like, a thousand submissions on his record, and you really outworked him on the mat as well. You controlled him for almost ten minutes of that fight. What does that do to your confidence in the cage as well? Yeah, you know, I'm super confident in my, in my grappling. You know, I'm confident everywhere a fight goes now. But uh, my grappling especially, you know, I've been doing that since I'm a little kid. And for me, I feel like my jiu-jitsu credentials are okay. I've won some competitions and stuff before getting into MMA. But really, I really feel like with the background that I have um, under John Hassett and Hassett's jiu-jitsu, and now where I train with John Salter and with Jeff Jimmo, our head coach, I really feel like my game has been constructed from a little kid to now for mixed martial arts with top pressure and, you know, attacking the neck, not giving up position, but, you know, kind of A, B, C, D, and just kind of progressing positionally and systematically trying to break someone down. So I feel like where Jim is really dynamic in, in catching submissions in the open and things like that, I tend to be a little more positionally sound, and it worked out for me. And I think if I can impose that on anybody, I think I can, I can secure a win if I get there. Well, I love that. I love that breakdown right there because it's really smart. But I, I want to go back to something you said there, which is you, you've been training jujitsu since you were six years old, which is obviously a very young start to the jujitsu world. Not everybody's had that ad- advantage in their life. What, what got you into doing jujitsu when you were only six? Is that something that your parents wanted to see you in? Uh, no, you know, I don't think so. I, I think it was kind of luck, you know. Um, that's what I always say. Like, I'll joke around and be like on fight night, like. I'm not supposed to be here because I wasn't the best athlete. I wasn't this, but I'm meant to be here. You know, like it just kind of found me. So uh, for me, I was four years old at the time and I wanted to just do karate because I liked the Power Rangers, you know. My brother was playing baseball. He's a lot older. He's, he was 10 years old. And, uh, you know, things weren't working out. He moved to a new town, wasn't getting playing time, whatever. And my parents said, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to try you in something individual. We'll sign you up for karate. It's good for discipline and being healthy and all that stuff. But this was 1999. So... We walked in, and at the exact same time, the instructor just got his blue belt in jiu-jitsu, I believe, and going into Philly a lot and trained with the Megal East brothers and uh, with our instructor, John, our eventual instructor, John Hassett. This is another guy we started with. And, uh, you know, it, he transformed the whole school within, like, a year and a half to fully jiu-jitsu and had just grandfathered a couple of karate students into a karate program. So my first day was Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and it was an, it was an accident, you know. My parents didn't want us playing football or hockey because it was – 
you know, too much contact. It was too too dangerous. And now, you know, we ended up in jiu-jitsu because it looks the same with the uniform and the structure. And then uh, here we are, how many years <laughs> later, and I'm fighting, you know, mixed martial arts for a living. So go figure. Yeah, that, that might not have been something that they were looking forward to at that age if they thought football was a little dangerous. Now, <laughs> I'm curious, too, because, you know, you, you said, you know, they wanted to get you into karate and, and you know, you wanted to be in karate. Your, your brother wanted to be in karate. It changes over to jujitsu almost instantly. Do your parents even sort of recognize that it's a different thing? It's it's much, you know, obviously it's still martial arts, but it's it's a completely different animal. And, and if so, how did they react to, you know, what you would be doing in martial arts there? Man, you know, yeah, they, they, they for me, when we, we ended up switching schools when I was about eight or nine years old to um, our instructor at the time's instructor because the program had kind of dwindled away and, uh, it was more becoming like fitness and stuff like that. So we went to the neighboring school that had jiu-jitsu, and that was John Hassett, Hassett's jiu-jitsu. And uh, he only had an adult class for Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I ended up getting my childhood wish of doing karate with the kids, and then at night I would train jiu-jitsu with the adults. So my parents were there every single day. They they washed, they drove us there, they'd pay for us to do tournaments. And, uh, yeah, they ended up, you know, they know a lot about it just from having sat there all those times to make sure – what they had gotten their kids into was an all right thing, you know. And then the nice thing about it was my instructor was, you know, a great mentor. And uh, we always talk about it now is like the great thing about it is when you're a kid or when you're a parent, you want your kid around somebody that's going to, that's going to tell them the things that you want to tell them as well. But sometimes we don't listen to our parents because it's not the cool thing to do. <laughs> and we had that in John Hatcher. He was, he was saying all the same stuff that I was hearing at home, but it was a lot cooler at the time. So I'm being a stubborn teenage boy and I'm like, yeah, he's right. You know, I shouldn't drink. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't party. And between the two of the, the love and support of my parents and the discipline and the discipline and the the outlet of jiu-jitsu through my instructor, John Hassett, I ended up being, you know, I think my biggest weapon now even is discipline. And that's from, from them. You know, I never got sidetracked from the second I decided I wanted to compete as a teenager. I never have had a sip of alcohol. I've never touched a drug. I never went to parties. It's just been, it's, I've been living like I was in the UFC since I've been 17 years old, you know, I got my first gym membership to go lift weights. So, um, and discovered healthy food. So it's just, I think between my parents and have my mentor, you know, in Shitsu growing up, it was a great recipe. That, that does sound like a great recipe. Now I, I want to talk about the fight in a second, but I did want to ask one more question about this. So, you know, you said, obviously you start Jiu-Jitsu at a very young age. You've got some great mentors and some people who, who guide you down that martial arts path, but what made you decide professional fighting getting into a cage and fighting rather than competing on a jiu-jitsu circuit or doing something like that what made you think about turning this into an mma lifestyle and not just you know jiu-jitsu or something like that yeah well you know for me i was going to college and i was pursuing you know a degree in college and i was also competing in jiu-jitsu a lot and i had kind of told myself that live and i'm like i'm just gonna pursue jiu-jitsu competition at the highest level and that'll be fulfilling but I knew since I saw my first UFC, this is something I wanted to do if I had the ability. Now, at the time, I was a terrible competitor as a kid. I lost from 6 to 16. I really won no tournaments, like, not an exaggeration. So, uh, you know, it was one of those things that was always in the back of my mind, but I knew the responsible thing to do was pursue college and do the, you know, try and keep on the path. But like I said, I really think that, you know, I have my faith, so I really believe that God had a plan for my life, and this is how I can best serve you know, others and, and influence other people and, and use my platform for hopefully a good thing. But, um, you know, without telling a sob story, just some things happened in my senior year of college where it was pretty much impossible for me to stay in and, and make it through. And uh, I ended up having to 
drop out and start working. So while I was working, I was training also full-time, and I was already competing a ton, and we had the opportunity to take a fight here in town in Myrtle Beach where I was living at the time, and it was seven weeks away. I said, man, it's an amateur fight. I can get a crash course and stand up, and uh, I had been sparring already, you know, with the premise of don't get hit, take these guys down, try and submit them. So that was kind of, again, just like jiu-jitsu, it kind of, while it was something I wanted to do, it ended up finding me. I did everything to avoid it, and life put me in a corner where I had to do it. And, and now, you know, it's gone. I got into it with day one with the mindset of, all right, if I'm doing this, I'm doing this to get to the UFC and make a living for myself. And, uh, you know, my wife now, but it was my girlfriend at the time, and we've been in it since day one with that in mind, and, and we just never stopped. Well, I love that story. Now, let's talk a little bit about this fight coming up, too, because it is an exciting one. After beating Jim Miller, they give you a name of another kind of wily veteran in Jared Gordon who is put together a heck of a resume of his own right, and he's another guy who kind of loves jujitsu as well. He's got his brown belt under John Donaher, who's obviously a, a very high-esteemed trainer. How do you feel like this fight is going to go, and how do you feel about the UFC seemingly continuing to give you grapplers? Yeah, you know, it, it's fantastic. It, it, what we're here to do at the end of the day is to, is to be tested, right, and to, to get out of our comfort zone and to, you know, put on the best performances. I think this is a good chance where what people thought the Miller fight would be, this fight could become that because he's so good on the ground. He presses a great pace on the feet. Um, you know, the Miller fight was kind of deemed to be this scrambling and, and you know, excellent jiu-jitsu display, whereas it ended up being more of a, a grind of a chess match. And this could be that, too, but I, I really think that it's awesome to have the opportunity to fight guys that are good where I'm good and good and good on the feet as well and good in the in-between. You know, at this level, everybody's so well-rounded, I, I think myself included, that uh, there really is no room for error. These are fights that I've had consistently with, with Hubbard and even with Wyman to a degree, although I think he was on the way out a little bit, is uh, I've had fellow grinders where it's like there isn't gaping holes, but we love to grab, we love to make it ugly, we love to get tired and, and – uh, I think it's a great way to show what I can do. If I can get people to engage where I want to engage, it's even better. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome to have a guy with such a good resume who, again, he was at CFFC when I was. He was the champ when I started fighting there. So uh, somebody else that, uh, you know, was a little bit ahead of me in the sport, and now I get to catch up, and, and on fight night we're on an even playing field, which I think is really, really cool. That is absolutely cool. Now, I like to try to get a prediction out of all my fighters before I let them go. Do you have a way that you see this fight going down on October 2nd? Yeah, you know, for me, it's true to the opponent, but it's also true of how I always think is I'm planning for a 15-minute grind. You know, I treat it like sparring where I go, man, I can submit this guy in sparring. I can drop him, whatever's going to happen, but I have to be in here for 15 minutes. So I treat the fight the same way. You know, Jared's not the kind of guy that's looking for a way out. He's not going to lift his chin and let you choke him. He's not going to stand there and let you crack him. So I've got to work for 15 minutes. My plan is to fight tooth and nail for every position. And I think like the last fight and like what we planned for with the Hubbard fight, if I do that, I get my hand raised at the end. You know, I have to fight him every position, though. And uh, we're prepared to do it. This is the best shape of my career. This is the toughest and best camp I've had, the best preparation with all my coaches and team. And uh, I really seem to get my hand raised if I, if I stick to the game plan they put out for me. Well, we're looking forward to that grinding fight. And once again, fans, this was Joe Selecki who fights Jared Gordon at UFC Vegas 38. That is on October 2nd. Joe, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's great talking with you. Take care. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We certainly could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Better Than Vegas, and, of course, Maroon Social. 
two very helpful figures in us keeping the lights on here at Top Turtle MMA Studio. And we want to remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those spots. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you then.